This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Whakatani, although she's actually in her car, I presume she's not sitting in her driveway, by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you? Very well. Did you have a fun weekend? Um, I did, and, I'm, and yes, I'm in my car, and I'm coming to you from Matata in the Eastern Bay of Plenty, just on the Tauranga side of Whakatane. Often on the sign, the sign into Matata, people write Hakuna, because <laughs> then it becomes Hakuna Matata. <laughs> so that's where I am, watching children play in a playground and, and um, a slight ripple on the water. It's beautiful. And what did you get up to over the weekend? Oh, you know, just election stuff. Um, <laughs> spent some time over in Rotorua with Tamati, um, and we're just waiting to see what uh, what the end result will be for him um, in terms of his numbers once the special votes are counted. Um, but at least we're really happy and lucky that he gets to go back into Parliament. Still got a job on Monday um, as he's high enough on the list. So uh, really interesting to watch this space and see how it all unfolds. But what was really cool about this, other than Labour winning, from my point of view, was that I uh, bumped into my very dear friend, Tim Barnett, um, and I roped him into our having an interview with us today. Fantastic. How did you meet him? Um, Tim, well, there, there are two versions to the story. Tim's version was that we met on Tinder, and um, and and fell in love. But my only disappointment was that he doesn't have a beard, and his disappointment was that I'm not a man. <laughs> so, and the person he told that to believed him, and it was hysterical. But in actual fact, we met because uh, he was he was um, helping Nando Tanchos in Fakatani to be elected to Fakatani District Council. Uh, as his campaign manager, and I poached him to be mine. <laughs> so <laughs> somehow I managed to keep Nanda as a friend through all of that. But um, the the most uh, remarkable thing was to um, to meet him and have him in my life, and um, and we've had a beautiful friendship that's lasted over many years. And surprises me that he tolerates me so well. So welcome, Tim. It's so nice to have you here. Kia ora. great to be here, and thank you Kia ora. for that rather frightening introduction. <laughs> Kira Tim, where are you? Oh, I'm uh, in our current home, which is in Breaker Bay in Wellington. 
So we a little cottage that we're renting that overlooks the sea um, and the inter-island of ferries going past. Um, and just before we arrived was, oh, well, actually after we arrived, the orcas um, came to the harbour just outside our, our front door. Um, and just before we arrived, there were big, uh, abnormally large waves that went across the road and, and nerved the neighbours. So we kind of feel a bit at the edge of the world here in a nice way. So how has your bubble life been? Uh, we actually moved here the weekend after the, the lockdown. So we were a level three move. And uh, yeah, lockdown was very interesting. But this is the first year for many years I'd managed to plan three trips. The first was going to be to Darwin in May to a conference. And then I was going to go to Scotland in June to uh, celebrate my partner's 50th and a friend's 60th and we're going to go around the coast of Scotland and then I was going to cycle over to Tibet in September so it was a very uh, sort of planned year and of course nothing happened at all we were just locked down so it went from being a year where I thought I'd use all my leave up and uh, and do interesting things to a year where my leaves just accrued and accrue because I run a, a charity called Thinkap uh, we work with a 200 budget services around the country to train the staff and get their data and support the organizations and develop the, the profession of being a financial mentor. Um, so we've, the organizations probably benefited a lot from lockdown, partly because of government money, um, because financial hardships is hitting and will hit more brutally in the next period. Um, and also because they gave us some extra money for our helpline, just as called Money Talks, just as we went into lockdown. So we had to, we were then defined as an essential service, which meant we could actually get out of the house. So the lockdown for me involved some rather daring drives across Wellington armed with paperwork in the hopes of being stopped by the police so I could uh, explain to them that I was official. Well, no one ever stopped me. It was quite disappointing. Um, and we rolled out uh, an expansion in the helpline with a whole lot of staff we only met recently and we recruited on Zoom and we then sent them the equipment so they became helpline operators from home and then to train them from a distance. So it was all a very different way of doing things. So that all, that all went um, pretty well. In the middle of all that, I mean, being at home was like many people in kind of white collar work, I guess. We just spent days and days on Zoom calls um, and found ways to get around it, like just taking our picture off and then going off to the toilet and going for a walk and coming back and no one noticing. Um, and, and learning to really cook again and, and the cat, the cat quite liked having us around and all that stuff really. And then we, after a while, probably the privation got a bit much and we made us pop by for a drink and we decided we were a bigger bubble and we did all those things that were probably a little marginal, but we got away with it. And then we were, we were given a 90-day notice by roguish landlords, so we had to move, and that's where we found this place, and came here. And then, um, and then after that, a whole new thing has happened because I guess this uh, desire to travel that the um, that the lockdown helped to cull um, kind of hung around in my head. And I then applied for one or two other jobs, and then uh, which were overseas, and then very unlikely actually got one of them, which I only heard about last week. And so I'm going to 
in not very long, three weeks, three weeks today, I arrived there actually. I'm going to become the chief of staff to the Minister of um, Ab Aboriginal Affairs in the Northern Territory. So we moved to Darwin in three weeks, which people tell me is full of crocodiles, 27 varieties of poisonous snake, one of whom, one of which actually runs towards you rather than running away, which is even more frightening. And, and it's very hot and sticky and very interesting. So that's, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's been quite a year, really. So that's, um, that's what's been going on. I guess the other, I'll, I'll just go on. But the other thing that's interesting is that because our services, the 200 local budget services, they're big. I guess the strength of what they do is face-to-face -face contact. So they would, they're funded by government. So anyone who is facing financial hardship can go along and sit down and get their financial reality unpacked and then through that they work out if other debts that could maybe be um, advocated to be wiped off or for payment to be delayed um what are they spending their money on are there different ways they could do stuff to make things a bit more bearable and so the idea is after that contact you go away with the beginning of a new budget and then you can go back to support whenever you need it that's all a free service but of course a face-to-face -face option for a good chunk of the year and then again with the lockdown in Auckland came back again that's been impossible so we've had this whole network of services have had to rely on a different way of doing things which has been uh, I think probably you could say gain from from lockdown because they've had to think through what they do so for example you do lose something through zoom but maybe you don't lose that much and if the convenience means you don't have to travel an hour to get there it may be on both sides you actually don't mind having the conversation so so we've had lots of because a fair number of our staff are volunteer and older so they've been learning the reality of zooming uh, which has been quite a thing we've been assured that zoom doesn't exist in westport um, which I think may just mean them, them the machines a bit out of date. So there's been a bit of kind of a bit of poor learning around the edge. But in in general, I think it's expanded the range and it's helped to counter some of the fears about new technology. My other observation, which is kind of obvious, I just didn't think it before it happened, is that a lot of the staff are who are paid are on quite low incomes and and they are living in pretty kind of crowded conditions where actually there isn't a spare laptop from work to take home and your whole household is sharing one laptop and it's noisy and there's no real space for anything confidential. So that was really tough for many people where they could actually have been talking, talking with people in financial hardship, but it was just impossible to do. So that was, so there's a learning. I think there's, and then the other thing is about the training, I guess. So, we realised a lot of the training, the way we relied on face-to-face -face and everyone said, oh, it can only ever be done face-to-face. -face. In fact, there was a heap of it that people were really keen to do online. So again, some of their fears were challenged. So that was a package of what we learned. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole lot more about being in the workplace and going back afterwards, but we can talk about that. We anyway, can talk about that. After we've had the first of your music choices, let's have Diana Ross remember me. Why this one? Oh, I like, I always think her best songs have got some quite cutting, if not bitchy, 
lines to them, and this one's one of them. She has to listen to the words. They're pretty kind of, it's pretty kind of hard hitting. And on my my kind of sixtieth birthday trip two years ago, we went round the states by train. Ended up the last night at Hollywood at Hollywood Bowl, uh, seeing Diana Ross live with uh, with uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. A 90-strong orchestra behind him. It's just one of those like little shop things to do. So that's why I thought I would uh, remember it that way. around the states by train is a good thing to do i think the trip the amtrak trip through utah is about the best train trip in the world i don't know if you did that but 
Oh, no, we did San Francisco, Chicago, and then New Orleans to LA. So we did those kind of top and the bottom. Right, okay, yeah. And the bottom right right border, but there's a lot more still to do. There is a lot more of the world that we might have to wait till we get to. Oh, oh, indeed, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for that, that, I think one of the things we gained from that was just having lengthy periods, um, almost randomly meeting people who were everything from pro-Trump to vehemently anti-Trump and having deep conversations with them and trying to avoid being judgmental and just understand why they were thinking what they thought. That was fascinating. And kind of people open up. When you're from New Zealand, it's like saying, you're never going to meet me again. You can say what you like and <laughs> nothing you can say is actually going to mean Just open up. And so we were like kind of resident counsellors in these trains. And we did meet some amazing people. And at dinner, because there were two of us and they eat in four, you just were put with two other people at random. So every night you'd be eating with a different pair. So you just had these extraordinarily deep, generally quite deep conversations with Americans about their lives. And with this glorious scenery going by, so pretty good. So. so your your current work is at FinCap, and looking at the front page of its website, it says, "Together we can stop loan sharks." Have the sharks been behaving through COVID? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, they through COVID, people save on average quite a lot of money. We had some pretty amazing stories of people saving money and repaying loans, being crippling them, but they're. The campaign that we ran last year, which is now kind of having an effect, and it's a good example of how um, law change really impacts on people. So we managed to persuade the government to change their mind and introduce a cap on interest rates, which the cap they introduced sounds ludicrously high because it's 294%. But these typically, typically these um, payday loans are... Uh, for, a, for a week or two, and it's 0.8% a day. So when you bring it down to that, you can kind of understand, but it's still at a high level. And we think about two-thirds of the companies who were operating um, with hundreds of percent of interest rates have now left the market as a result of the law change because their, pre- their, their business model wasn't tenable. But actually, law change, we got the law change by people telling stories, uh, local financial mentors going to select committee, Actually, a guy from Dunedin and somebody else from Gisborne going along to select committee and telling their own stories and what happened when they got a, a loan from a loan shark and the, what led to it, why they did it, the impact of it, and so forth. Very powerful. And it was kind of gave me renewed faith in our democracy because across across the parliament, including to her credit, Judith Collins, um, accepted that actually the law was wrong, something significant needed to happen. So we actually got the shift with a level of cross-party agreement, which is always the best way to do it and make it sustainable. So now with a re-election of a progressive government, um, clearly there'll be a, a demand to go further. And in three weeks, you're heading off to, do you say Northern Territories? Yep. And you described it as quite a year. And if your Wikipedia profile is to believe, you've had quite some career. And it seems to me... Is, is it something that makes sense? In, is, it a, is it a trajectory that makes sense in, in hindsight? You know, how do you leap from oh, finance to chief of staff of the Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs? It's, um, it's about working with causes and people at the margin. It's about, I guess, being relational in what you do. It's being able to manage people well. And it's about having a commitment to change. I think probably legacy is a big thing for me. Actually, that ability to be able to say, yeah, we actually made the difference. Um, 
and this would be i think probably my last role um it's a four-year position the labor's just got re-elected in the northern territory and the next election is in august uh, 24 and i'll be working with the minister uh, selena weeble and she is the uh, one of the three aboriginal ministers in the cabinet of nine um, and there are seven uh, of the nine, seven are women. So it's a very interesting politics over there. Um, and she is Attorney General, Minister of Justice, um, Aboriginal Affairs, Local Decision Making, which is about devolution power to communities. And she's got an ambitious program, part of it centred on reducing um, incarceration rates among the Aboriginal communities, so alternatives to, to prison. They could have a mandatory sentencing system to the, there, which um, has quite divided the community. And it's also about building up support for the government in what they call the bush communities, so the really remote uh, communities there. And, and I guess some of my experience working with Maori and with Iwi is what I'll put into effect there. So it's going to be very, very different and very fascinating. And I guess she chose me because I was completely opposite to her in every way. So she has a... <laughs> and I've just been interviewing for staff. So we, and we're, trying to, we're trying to form an office from a distance and thinking about how you build empowerment of new Aboriginal leadership in the public service and in the, in the political side of things um, through a minister's office, which is interesting, interesting stuff to be doing. You say a commitment to change, but also a, a track record of being successful at change. What's the trick? Oh, very outcome focused. I like to work out where it's going. I failed completely with uh, my Mawera in the, her, her attempt to get elected to council. <laughs> we knew the outcome. But our trajectory wasn't quite right, so it doesn't always um, doesn't go as well as it should. And but I think I've probably learned you, you spend a bit of energy at the beginning planning it out, and you need to know the limits of the people you're working with. And I've I've never been somebody who's wanted titles. I've actually wanted to be in the right position to make a difference. I don't get frustrated, I guess, if I'm blocked from doing that. So working out your your scope at the beginning is important. So in the law reform, my biggest law reform one was the decriminalisation of sex work when I was in Parliament. And that's, um, I mean, that was big because it was an unknown and most people didn't really know what they were dealing with even when they were voting on a bit of a, a bit yucky and a bit mysterious to them. Uh, so I had to give them reassurance that what I was proposing was not out there. And they had to have the... Um, the, I guess the confidence of sex workers, the prostitutes collective, that what are, that I might have to make some compromises, but they wouldn't be fundamental. And I had to trust them that the model that they had developed was going to was going to work. So there's a lot of you have to have this trustful relationship sitting across things and a common aim of what you're trying to do, and on the basis of that, see where it all heads. That was, I mean, that's, that probably got me through quite a number of these um, these processes and these bigger jobs in, in different ways. I think probably I've had my feel of wanting to manage larger organisations. It's quite nice going to minister's office where you're told your budget is X and you just work with that. You can't, you might be able to bid for a bit more, but you can't get money from outside. So it means I don't have to fundraise. There's only five people in the office, so it's a small, strategic place. And you've got these complicated audiences that are interesting so you're trying to i mean ultimately you're trying to do stuff which the aboriginal communities will benefit from that's complicated in itself and then you've got the 
the, the, the other part of the voting public, because 30% of people in the Northern Territory are Aboriginal. So the 70%, who would include some people who understand that stuff, and an awful lot who would have a fairly jaundiced view of Aboriginal reality. So you're trying to not upset them so much that you're losing votes. Then you've got the government machine who's being funded to deliver things, but you don't know how well they're doing that, so you've got to monitor that. And then you've got the political colleagues where you're selling an idea to get them to agree to the funding. And of course, this is all happening in a COVID environment. So Northern Territory has only had 34 cases and no deaths. That's all pretty good. But their uh, tourism industry is pretty messed up like our one here. And so future income streams are are challenging. So it's kind of, yeah, but that, so that's me scoping out where's the one, that's, that's what I'm beginning with. And what we want to do by the end is real stuff on the ground the minister to get re-elected and the government to get re-elected and that's the pathway you have to try and follow so so it's kind of it's pretty clear in my head but actually the reality of being there and dealing with the everyday stuff um in a in a highly humid environment where you just feel like you want to throttle the person next to you because apparently everyone gets so angry that that's a whole new reality but Mara is going to come and visit so we're going to still love it <laughs> she'll love all the hot sticky stuff so Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā me aroha no, kia koutou, ko tahuahau. Hope you all had a best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever's happening with this journey that we're all on together, prove to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminate for you each day who you are. Of nature's are perfect here, makes me to thank you. So it's been a very fascinating last several few months that we've been sharing this time together and I'm so grateful to have these five minutes each day with you. It's really helped me enormously and I'm very honoured and privileged to be able to share my perspective with you. I hope that things that have helped me can help you. And as you all know, we now have another three years of a Labour-led government, which I'm very happy about. But... As Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern reminded us all in her valedictory speech, we don't have to let our differences divide us. We don't have to let our different perspectives divide us. We can, in fact, really enjoy embracing all the different perspectives. And I think it's a very important message to bear in mind at this time that if you didn't vote for a Labour-led government for the next three years, I really hope that... The next three years will find ways to enhance your life and I hope that we can all feel really happy with what takes place over the next three years. <clears throat> so for me, over the next three years, I'd really, really love, obviously, to continue in my work at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary and continue in my music making with Tahu and the Duckers. And I really hope have the opportunity to begin the Infinity Baby Project with a suitable love partner. We shall see what unfolds, but I would really love that. And Mahuika the Beautiful Hen at Hey Hey HQ has been very clucky, as we know, and she's been sitting on these eggs she's laid for the last several days. And tomorrow, I'm actually getting some fertile eggs here which is very exciting and they're from a lovely lady on the peninsula and I'm getting eight eggs and I'm going to try to swap them out for the eggs that she's currently sitting on 
and last time I um, went and gave her some food and attempted to entice her into drinking some water. She got very cross with me and pecked me, so I might get pecked a lot in the process of moving these eggs. But I'm prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically for this possibility and it will be okay. So this is very exciting. Not only are we beginning three years of a Labour-led government in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand, but also Mahuika the hen is going to be having some little babies to look after. It's so exciting. So once Mahuika has hatched these beautiful babies in 21 days, I will obviously enjoy looking after them. And those of them that are boys eventually will have to be rehomed. And... The rest of them, I might keep some of them for me because clearly you can never have enough beautiful hay hay. But some of them will go to my friend Dr. Jenny Yant, who is an amazing wasp scientist. And she has a very beautiful hen house that is waiting for them, so that's exciting. But I really hope that for you, whatever's happening in your world, that you're able to look forward to the next three years and enjoy all of the learning, all of the growth happening all the time and that you have lots and lots of things always to look forward to. So many wonderful things are waiting for us all just around the corner. And I'll look forward to talking to you. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Tim Barnett. We've seen lots of societal change over the the last however many months it is. We're going to have to start saying year soon. Well, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I think the sense we're all in it together. I think that that we're, we're up against something where we don't really know the end game and that creates a kind of worry and concern. But we, we know that we have to have trust for it to be defeated. We have to have trust in political leadership, trust in science, trust in each other to follow the rules. And I think that's a healthy reminder of um, of a good way of living. So I think I think that, and I think the fact that we have succeeded as a nation, and I think there are there are there's, there's an element of luck in that. There's an element of geography um, and isolation, all of which are fed into that process. But I think in, even with all that, we can say we've done well, and that's that's kind of empowering for a nation. I think the election result indicates that. People feel that they've been well led, and the best way of thanking politicians for that is to vote for them. So that's um, so that's all that's all good. Um, so I think we've learned that. Um, maybe we've learned a slightly healthier way of living, and the fact that I mean the fact that the flu level was so extraordinarily low this year, I'm guessing is not entirely coincidental that it was due, due to the way that we were living our lives. So it kind of, I think, maybe it shows us that we can be empowered around health to do more than we, we did before. And as I'm sure others have said to you, there were those kind of magical moments where you heard, we lived, where we lived before, overlooked Wellington Airport, so the background air, aircraft noise was pretty common. And to suddenly hear birds and, and, and to experience empty streets is something that will live with us all forever. So there's a different way of, there's a different reality out there that we can start. What lessons do you think we can take from the experience to the, the, the bigger sorts of questions, the climate change and uh, social inequity and so on? I think it probably shows that we have, to, for, for us to act as one, and for us to agree to do things in a different way, 
we have to be a little frightened of something, we have to be threatened by something, and we have to believe that what we do will make a difference. And it was interesting, I can remember when I was a member of parliament, the debate about plastic bags in supermarkets, and people would complain loudly that changing the rules and that would just be un un unbearable. And yet, when we finally went through that change, it was kind of last year, yeah, towards the end of last year, I think, when all the plastic bags started to disappear from supermarkets, we all realised, actually, we could all get by, and it was like 80% of people supported what happened. So I was kind of interested by the extent to which our minds can shift, and I guess I've worked on social issues where I've seen our minds shift. I've always thought that the challenge with the climate change was that it was difficult for us to experience the reality of climate change and some things that uh, the media are quite fond of putting labels on. They'd label anything as climate change if it was a slightly unusual storm, whereas there had been quite similar storms last year. But So there is a reality, but somehow did the, I think the media, the comms didn't work so well. I think in this one, which when we, we in this country, we saw the power of clear communication. The very thing of a bubble, um, I, I, every week through through COVID, indeed, after this interview and doing it again, I talked to my equivalent in Australia, just about what's happening in the financial counsellors movement there and the budget services, financial mentors here. And I, mentioned, I sent her a document and they mentioned a bubble and she had no idea what it meant. And they hadn't used the bubble language at all. So New Zealanders, that was good public comms about merging a bubble, breaking a bubble and whatever. And she thought it was wonderful when she understood what we meant by it. And I thought, wow, isn't it amazing we're not sharing those concepts internationally. We're all doing our own version of it. Looking, looking at the UK and their kind of messy, messy system of trying to, trying to encourage people to behave in a certain ways, when it's quite clear that it's completely failing, just shows the, the quality of that that discourse is so is so vital. So yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of where it's going, I mean, I think the end game remains really uncertain. Um, and, and I think we're pretty vulnerable as a nation to a new outbreak. But I think we're, I think people are phlegmatic about that. And I get the sense as soon as we got to level one, or back to level one in, in Wellington, we were back to uh, the old way of operating and people were really determined to do that. And I've I think all my work colleagues have consciously been going to the small, um, the small uh, corner shops and independent cafes rather than chain, just to make sure. And I've never thought of spending something like that before in a way that was going to help. I thought I was buying a product, but I think we've become more aware of the ecosystem of how small businesses get by and how crucial our behaviour is within that. So I think that's been another realisation. And I guess the other, one other impact we're still working through in my workplace is that uh, very few of my colleagues have come back to full-time working in the office. At the very least, people are more prepared to take a day off if they feel slightly under the weather, um, if they just want a day at home, whatever. And I think their colleagues have become quite accepting of that, and which has meant that you have a workplace that might have 15 people in one day and by the end of the week it might be two people. Um, and then just handling that because who am I to try to tell people they need to come in when they don't have to. So yeah, lots of, very, lots of very interesting things that have been going on. I think we've become a lot more aware of IT and potential, as I mentioned earlier, just in the way we operate our own lives. Do you think that the, not just our government, but governments everywhere, have perhaps made it almost harder for themselves in the future because they have demonstrated that we can do stuff. 
we can actually, maybe it's the mindset you're talking about, we can do it. We can actually do these things. So are people going to be now saying, you promised transformation, where is it? Oh, I think there is a significant head of steam building up. And I think that's the interesting challenge even for our newly elected government. There's a head of steam based on the fact that, as you say, yeah, we can, if we're determined, we can do things. If we need to find money, we can find it and we're prepared to subsidise business in order to do that. And that's clearly reasonable. But then we're shown in Australia, you can double benefits for six months if you want to. Here, it was a bit of a watered down version. Um, So I think bits and pieces around the world have been good. I think also around the world, we've seen governments that prove that we we can't do things well. It's no accident that the three world leaders, the most prominent world leaders um, who contracted COVID were from Brazil, Britain and the States, uh, all of whom are right-wing populists and were dismissive at one stage or another or joking about contact with people with COVID or dismissive of the, of the threat it offered. And then they ended up getting it, and at least in one case, um, very seriously. So... I think that's also shown the limitations, shown how if a government's not effective, just how damaging it can be. I mean, the fact that that Labour got um, or failed to get elected in Britain in an election last year and people were saying this party is out for 30 years and now they're leading in the polls just shows how how this has had a profound effect. I mean, I think without COVID, Trump was almost certain to get re-elected, but it was a vivid example of just what the impact of his values and his approach uh, might mean. And conversely, I mean, in Australia, who broadly followed the policy we we followed, in spite of having a similar populist government, they clearly did listen to their advisors in a way that those other countries didn't. And, and it's shown a result. So I think, yeah, I think... I mean, I think we come out of this with some hope and some nervousness about what's going to come in the future, um, barely thinking yet about what the reality of a global dissemination of a vaccine might mean, not really understanding what it means if one in five people don't want to take a vaccine. Does that mean it's a problem or not? I mean, a whole lot of new issues. And knowing that the flu vaccine is not successful, in all cases, so what? Where's the success line really lies? I think a whole lot of a whole lot of issues sit there, but that's all part of the journey. This big journey that we are collectively on at the moment. And I've been, um, we've been lucky enough to find a job that enables us to shift to another country and get a new exciting experience in the middle of it all, using the quarantine-free route that we can go on to the Northern Territory that opened up last week, and and feeling very privileged because we can do that. But when we get there, we're going to be in the same community-wide journey that we're on here. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Sign Your Name from Terence Trent Darby.
I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to get through them, so we'll have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I think probably that law reform I, I referred to. I think speaking truth to power is always good, and if you can get somebody who has directly experienced a wrong, who is confident enough to talk to those who have the power to write it, it sounds easy, but it's really tough to do that. And and then you can machinate, particularly in our in our um, coalition system. And you, in our case, we we worked with New Zealand First and with the Greens to get both of them to tell the government, to tell Labour, they were going to move an amendment to the bill um, if they didn't change their minds. We used fairly blunt lobbying to get what we wanted, and that succeeded. Yeah, that, that's a move. I mean, it's it's only part of a long-term process, but that was also very empowering for the network that we work with to actually realise that they had the insights to tell a story that made the difference. Yep, yeah, I think that was to me that was a that was a biggie. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that has got you into our mansion? <laughs> Whoa. I think the superpower to believe that the impossible is possible. Um, if we know where we're trying to get to and we are all confident enough to be part of that journey. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I think I'm a strategist, and I think I'm uh, I'm progressive, and I think I'm lateral. Um, I think activism in my head is probably when you're outside the power structures, and I think my my life has mainly been spent working within the structures. So I'm more a kind of agitator and planner. Yeah, perhaps but a guess, subversive activist. Yeah, it depends. Either. Yes, <laughs> I think activism to me is the external. I, I was part of that when I was working on lesbian and gay rights years ago in in the UK. Um, but I, I then worked for Stonewall, which was as as the media put it, I became Britain's first professional homosexual, and that um, that that meant I was within the system. And I guess I've actually stayed within the system most of the time ever since. That's probably where I'm more comfortable. Doesn't mean to say it's the best thing to do, but for my skill set, I think it works well. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I'm quite committed to the jobs I'm doing. I mean, my, I tend to not get involved in too many things. I like to have a, a job, and I might be involved in one of the projects. It's been the election for the last few months, and it will be. Other things, I guess, when I go to Australia. Um, but I tend to be fairly single-minded, and I like to keep up an energy and a level of work to get things achieved. So I, I like to be doing things where I know where the difference is to be made and know that I can do that. And that's what gets me out of bed, because I know I'm there for a purpose. I do all that without a religious belief, but certainly with a belief that we're all, we're all in it. Um, we're all in this for some reason. Um, and that we all have an ability to, to do things that can 
ease the pressure on others so we can enable them to do things they couldn't otherwise So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, I think I think in my head, I mean, and it's a weird period. I only heard last week I was for sure that I was moving jobs and now I'm sort of going in less than three weeks. So I'm <laughs> in that kind of middle space, but I'm kind of trying to shape what this four-year challenge is in the minister's office and make make that make reason of that and that's it's exciting for me plus just going to a new place and where, where apparently you never talk about the weather in darwin because it's exactly the same for six months and then exactly the same for the next six months whereas we live here in wellington where everyone talks a lot about the weather so it'd be quite nice to not have to talk about the weather too much but also to be, be in a very different place get used to incredible heat and dangerous creatures and luscious tropical fruit everything else that goes with it and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners oh i think my advice i mean there's, this is the first day of as as the prime minister puts it uh, the most significant labor led government for 50 years so i think our my advice would be that if that government's going to succeed, people need to be engaging with politicians or 65 MPs from Labour um, who are going to be working on the project for the next three years, and they can only but benefit from the input from your listeners and others. They can only benefit from input from your listeners and others about issues that are important to them. And governments to be successful have to be curious and ask questions. And if they're not curious enough, then people need to excite their curiosity in some way. So encourage engagement in the political system and see where this extraordinary shift to where 58% of people are voting for progressive government and see where that takes us. Thank you very much for that. Moera. Tim, your contribution over your professional life has been absolutely extraordinary and second to none that I can think of. I can't think of anyone who's done as much as you have. Thank you for everything that you've done. And it's been so nice to talk to you today and always. And Jack and I are coming to see you before we put new concrete down in our driveway. So wow. Jack has reprioritized Tim before concrete. Very good. A train journey from uh, Adelaide all the way up. Sounds perfect. Very good. Well, Thank you. in your presence uh, for a whole hour. We've been so quiet. So, so it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I like this means of communication. <laughs> We're very delighted to be part of this project. Thank you for being Thank part you.
you've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tavi McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I was joined today by Mawera Karatai in her car somewhere near Fakatani, and from Breaker Bay in Wellington, Tim Barnett. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.